Welcome to the Lift Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is the greatest lift in life. We are so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will give you a lift of encouragement through this message. If you haven't uh, been to Lift Church before, you're in for a treat um, throughout throughout this series, um, Lift Summer, we, we truly want to just give a lift to your summer, and we believe the greatest lift in life is Jesus Christ, and we're, we're so glad that you're here, and, but we talk about Jesus in many different ways throughout the summer and have a little fun. Today's five for five, and if you've never experienced that before, this is uh, five of our uh, uh, members of our church. They're all in our dream team. They're all phenomenal, and and I, I need you to understand that the church is made up of individuals who are no better than the person next to them, including myself. I, I, I'm, I'm no more special than anybody else, and th- these guys are not any more special than any of you, but we all have a calling. We, all have, uh, we are all loved by God, and we all have a calling. In fact, Romans chapter 12 says this, that um, God gives us all different gifts. Some of us have the gift of uh, teaching. Some of us have the gift of encouraging. Some of us have the gift of mercy. Some of us have the gift of um, uh, of leadership. Some of us have the gift of generosity. Some of us have the gift of uh, um, cheerfulness. We love that one. Some have the gift of faith and can just believe and pray down the house. And I just want to tell you that your gift matters. And I pray that you find that gift too. And, and uh, all these five that are up here, they got various gifts. Some of them have taught and preached before, and some of them have not, because that might not be their primary gift, but they're all prepared and prayed up to bless you today, and and so let me just give you Preaching 101. Um, When you're up here, the lights are bright, and um, we we feel like you understand what we're trying to bring from God when you give a loud amen or, or, oh, come on, bring it. Come on. You, You say, here, practice this one. You better say that one again. Okay, how about this one? You better preach that. I'm telling you, they preach better because I preach better too because you're like, okay, they get the point. I can move on, all right, and, and feeling it, all right? The Holy Spirit moves. <laughs> he moves regardless, but it does help. So, hey, I'm going to introduce them, and then I'm going to get out the way, and these five are going to share uh, for five minutes each, okay? So um, they're going to preach from left to right, but I'm going to introduce them backwards. Um, this is Jake Adkins. Come on. He just graduated from high school. Salutatorian, come on top of his class. This brother uh, 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 spoke a message at his graduation. I said, we're going to be in all right hands for five for five because he, he, he was the best speaker there, in my opinion. I'm a little biased, all right? Okay. Uh, this is Cheryl Plymel. Such an amazing gift on our dream team. She can pray the house down. She's an encouragement. Her presence just lights up the room. Um, She's on our serve team, and she's greeted you many times. We're so grateful for her. This is Shelton Handy. Come on. Listen, he's the brother that when he says, woo, in the middle of a worship song, takes the spirit to a whole nother level. Come on. I love when he leads worship, and he leads in worship today. He and his wife are such a gift to uh, our our family here at the church, and we're grateful for him. Um, He's also now a vice principal. Come on now. Moving on up. Come on. All right. All right. Over at Washington High School. Okay. All right. Um, This is Kenton Yoder. Come on. He's a friend to so many. 
He's uh, just, he and his family are such a, a gift to the church as they all are. Um, he serves, in, he was thumping the bass this morning. Come on, the brother sings. He, he, he helps with security. He greets. He does so many different things. And we are grateful you're going to be blessed by him. And then this is, come on, the one and only Cache Reed. All right. Oh, she's on staff with us. Um, she's on our creative team, and she has so many gifts. Um, she's also a youth leader, and so we're proud that she's able to stand up here today with bright eyes because she's going to need some sleep after this, after a week long at camp. Come on. If somebody at camp loves her, let me get a shout out. All right. And um, she's also our online director and personally greets our family online and, and says a personal goodbye every single week, and we're so grateful for that. So without further ado, cachet. Come on and bring down the house. Good morning, good morning. Good morning, everyone online. How y'all feeling this morning? Y'all feeling good? Y'all feeling good? So I'm grateful and I'm excited to be here this morning and to be able to communicate this message with you I'm calling What's Funny. So we're going to be in Genesis this morning. And just for some context, we have Abraham and Sarah who have been having trouble conceiving a child. And there came a point where Sarah just, just, you know, accepted the fact that she would not have children and that she would not give Abraham a son. But then, one day, the Lord appeared to Abraham as three men. And he, Abraham fed them and welcomed them. And the men said, where's your wife Sarah? And Abraham says, she's in a tent. So we're going to pick up there in Genesis 18, 10 to 12. And it says, then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year. And your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn-out woman like me enjoy such pleasure, especially when my master, my husband, is also so old? So at this point, Abraham is about 100. And Sarah is 90, and Sarah had counted herself out because she was so focused on the limit that was her age of 90. And I wonder if any of you guys in this room are having some doubt and laughing at the things that you once believed God for. Because there was a time that Sarah prayed for a son, but as the years passed, and as her prayers didn't come to pass, she began to doubt God. She began to grow weary and fatigued in the waiting. And I feel like there's some people in this room right now who have grown tired in the waiting, who are beginning to not believe God, who are beginning to lose faith that God has a miracle for you, that God wants to, wants to do something special in your life. So I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's, you know, I've been praying for five years that my spouse will come to know Jesus, but <laughs> that just won't happen. Or I've been struggling with this addiction for two years or this mental illness for two years, so... <laughs> that won't happen. But I love the Lord's response in verse 13. He says, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And that same question stands true for you and for your situation. Is anything too hard for the Lord, because we serve a God of the impossible, right? He is limitless. He is not constricted or restricted in the same ways that we are. 
Yes? He, he, um, he calls the things that we call impossible in our lives. He says that that's just the beginning of what he can do. He's not intimidated the way that we are. He's not worried the way that we are because he is bigger and he holds the victory in your life. But will we have the faith to believe that nothing is impossible for our God? And you can see even throughout the New Testament during the ministry of Jesus that time and time again, Jesus responded to the faith of his children. I mean, just looking at the gospel of Matthew, we see in Matthew 8, 13, a Roman officer said to Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus' response, because you believed it has happened. Matthew 9, 29, there were two blind men who came to Jesus, and Jesus asked them, do you believe I can make you see? And these men responded, yes, Lord. And Jesus said, because of your faith, you have been healed. Matthew 9, 20, there was a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years, and she thought, if I could even touch the fringe of his robe, I will be healed. How did Jesus respond? Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. Faith catches the attention of Jesus. Jesus heals in response to faith. He redeems in response to faith. He delivers in response to faith. He reconciles in response to faith. Jesus responds to faith. And a lot of you guys are calling things impossible in your life, like maybe financial peace, Right, maybe healing for your body or for your mind or healing for your marriages or for your families because you're so focused on your situation and what you're capable of that you're losing sight and losing track of the God who goes before you, the God who you, who you have access to, the God whose power you have access to because he is all powerful God. He's the God who heals you. He's the God who sees you. He's the God who walks with you. He's the God who has all authority on earth and in heaven. He is the name above all names. His name is Jesus Christ. So, yes, you're right. You can't do it, but the Lord can. So I'll leave you with this one point, and that's to awaken your faith. Awaken your faith. How do you do this? You spend time in the word of God, and you read and you believe that every promise in the Bible is true, not only for who it was true for, but it's true for you, and you stand on it. You stop laughing at unbelief. You believe God, for nothing is impossible for God. But what I love is, if you keep reading the story, the Lord does exactly what he said he would do. That time, next year, Sarah and Abraham had a son named Isaac. And Sarah says in Genesis 21, 6, all who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet, I have given Abraham a son in his old age. You see, God turned Sarah's laugh of sorrow into a laugh of triumph. He could do the same thing in each and every life in this house today. But I invite you to awaken your faith and trust God this morning. Thank you. Give it up for Cache. That was a great word for us this morning. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about walking through hard times. And I'm going to be like the guy at the end of the commercial who has to say everything really fast because I've got a lot to say this morning. So buckle up. Here we go. So I want to 
recite a verse for us here, or read a verse that a lot of us probably know. It's Romans 8, 28, and it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, you might be sitting there going, yeah, right. The situation I'm in, God's not going to be able to work anything good out of it because it's a terrible situation. And you might be in a situation that nobody else knows about. It might seem hopeless, but God's got your back. You might be struggling with something like infertility, loss of a child, addiction, death of a loved one, failed relationship, abuse, or any other thing that you feel trapped in. And the problem is that we as humans, we like everything fixed right away. We don't like going through hard stuff. We're like, God, take it away. I can't handle it. But God asks us sometimes to wait and sit quietly because he speaks to us sometimes in a still small voice. And we can't hear it unless we're sitting quietly waiting for him. And, you know, I mean, where are my prime people at? If we can't have it right now, it's only two days out. You know, that's how we are. We want it now. But sometimes God says, wait. Life doesn't always go the way that we want it to. And we're like, you know, God, what are you trying to do? Do you care about us? Don't you see me here suffering? Where are you? And we start to lean on our feelings. And feelings are good, but I tell my kids, your feelings can lead you astray. Because in these hard times, we have to focus on what it, the truth is. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 22, the Bible says, Always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit, do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said, hold to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. So in those dark, hard times, don't go down a dark road. That's what that's saying. Lean on God. Focus on the truth. So I want to give you a couple of things to remember when you're going through hard times. During difficult times, you have to lean on God and trust Him, even though you can't see what's happening. If we fully rely on God, He'll bring us through it. He's promised that. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. The other thing is, during hard times, you need to be surrounded by people who care about you, people who are going to help you walk that out. And if you're not the person that's going through the hard time, be that friend for the person that's in the hard time. Be there. Walk it out with them. They need you. Galatians 6, 2-3 says, Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. So, why does God allow hard times? We ask these questions, and we don't always get the answers that we want. I've got things in my life I still don't have answers to. And it's okay to ask God why. But there's two things that you can do with hard times. You can allow them to make you better or bitter. It's your choice. You choose and how you respond to it. So there's two things. Remember that. Be, make, it, make you better or bitter. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples from my own life of some difficult things that our families walk through. Things that I still don't have answers to, but I'm getting little glimpses. And we have to look for those things. So... A couple of years ago, my father was diagnosed with cancer. wasn't, you know, a bad type of cancer or anything, but he went through the treatments, came out of it, healthy, good to go. 
A year after that, died from COVID. Why? I still don't have the answer to that. But when I do look at that, I can see that through that, my brother and I's relationship has gotten a lot closer. And now because we have a really tight, close relationship, we're able to make sure that our mother is well taken care of in the absence of our father. Another thing that was a very defining moment for our family was when we found out that one of our kids was a victim of abuse. Again, why? You know, as a father, there's nothing that will make you angrier. But I had to lean into God. I had good friends who walked beside our family through that, and they helped us through that. So, you know, through that, we did a lot of praying, trying to figure out where God was leading us. And because of that, we felt like God was leading us for me to request a release from the church that we were at where I was ordained on the pastoral team. We found lift. Our kids started going to youth. The child that was abused came out of youth group three, week, three months after we started attending lift and told me he gave his heart to the Lord. This was a kid who was angry at God and hated church because of what happened to him. God is doing a work in his life now that's incredible. He's working in all my kids' lives because we're here at Lyft. God's using Lyft to do that. So we need to understand the whole picture. God doesn't bring us through these hard times just so we can say, okay, I'm done with it. I've checked that box, God. Now what? God uses those times to make us that person who can walk through the hard times with other people. He equips us through the hard times to better serve him and his people if we allow him to bring the healing, and that's what we've got to do. I've got a little um, image that I sent to Terrence. It's kind of blurry up there, but if you look at the bottom, this is what we see when we look at life. It's ugly. It's a mess. There's threads everywhere. It's just, it just looks terrible, but God's looking at the front side. He's doing that work, and he lets us get little glimpses of what he's doing. We just have to be faithful and trust him. Don't give up hope because God wants to redeem you. He wants to heal you from your hurts and bring you through hard times. I'm going to leave you with a scripture, Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Yeah. Amen. Let's go. Awesome. Praise God. So as you can see, I stay strapped. <laughs> That's what, I, that's what I'm going to start telling the kids now. Stay strapped. Hey, hey you want me to call your mama? All right. So, <laughs> uh, praise God. Praise God. So, I'm here to talk to you all today about a marathon. And when I think about the word marathon, I think about what it means physically. Um, some things came to mind also what it means spiritually. So, uh, there's a lot of parallelism. So, I'm going to shout out some, some things that you guys think about what the word marathon means or the act of a marathon is. So marathon could be challenging, discipline, requires endurance, accountability, willpower, a certain mindset. It could be hard, uncomfortable, enjoyable, or healthy. And it has some benefits as well as the spiritual. Some of them is increase in brain activity, boosts mood, is a natural antidepressant. But when it comes to a spiritual marathon, you also are able to receive, you're also are able to receive that God satisfies our desires. 
He removes sin from our lives. He allows you to receive love, compassion, forgiveness, joy, and peace. So, and, and thinking about the overall idea of a marathon, and I'm going to try not to walk so much, man. I'm going to move. I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me. All right. Um, when thinking about the, the word marathon and how to prepare for a marathon, um, the first thing that comes to mind is you must train early. You must train early. So when researching this, that was the first thing that came to mind. You must train early. And when I thought about that, uh, I thought about this, this poet that Jackie Hill Perry, she says in one of her poems, um, uh, would you rather take the 80-year-old preacher on his deathbed singing to Jesus or the 18-year-old boy at the club thinking that he has his whole life to live right? And when you really think about that, it's, it's you know, even in myself going to church, I, I used to think like, oh, this is for the older generation. It's not for me. I'm going to live. But do we really know when that clock inside your chest is going to stop ticking? So uh, scripture also supports that in Ephesians 5, 16 to 17, it says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Number two, everybody say number two. Develop routines. So that entails studying, listening to messages, feeding your spirit. Second Timothy 2.15 says, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God, a worker that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you want to develop those routines to build your spirit. Number three, say number three. That means you can train anywhere for a physical or a spiritual. And the beauty in that is that you can pray whenever because he always is listening. Or you can share your message with whoever. Uh, a quote from Billy Graham says, our faith becomes stronger as we express it. A growing faith is a sharing faith. And in scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, but verse 17 says this, pray without season. Amen. Number four, say number four. Know your body. All right, so knowing your body. When, you, when you're researching about preparing for a marathon, some people, some people say that, hey, when you probably hit around mile six or mile eight, I start to feel a little weary. So I need a little snack. And when that came to mind, when I thought about needing a little stat, snack, it's, it, it goes with maturity. And, and, and it also going with knowing your word and feeding on that. But when, it, when I'm talking about maturity, I'm talking about there's going to be things in your life where you're going to hit roadblocks, where you're going to feel the stress, where you're going to feel like, hey, I can't do this. But know that it's the working of your character and the perseverance that you are going through that's going to see you through it. Number four, say number four. I mean, number five, excuse me, say number five. See, I'm already trying to take y'all back. No, we're moving forward. Forgive me. Forgive me. It says proper attire. So it wouldn't make sense if I'm running a physical marathon and I got these dress shoes or even this outfit. So you want to make sure that you got the proper attire. And what comes to mind is Ephesians 6. And I was going to say Ephesians 6, but I said, hey, that's going to be my whole five minutes. But Ephesians 6, 10 to 18 talks about the whole armor of God where it talks about uh, that we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. It also goes forward by talking about how we have to have our loins girt about with truth and the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. All right, moving on. I told you all it would take the whole five minutes. All right, number six. Say number six. 
Number six is to prepare for uncomfortability. Because in this marathon that we're walking, this spiritual marathon, again, those boundaries are going to come. Think about in Matthews when he was fasting Jesus and the enemy came to him saying, hey, if you're hungry, won't you turn these stones into bread? And he says, combating, using the word of the, the, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And he says that we don't eat on flesh. We don't eat on uh, bread alone, but on the word of God. Amen. Number seven, say number seven, and I'm almost done, y'all. Amen, amen. It says, eat right and change your diet. All right? So, again, a marathon, physical could be for anybody, but you got to have some sort of strategy in tackling it. And number seven hits hard for me because you don't want uh, to indulge in things that are going to infect your spirit. You want to purge the things that is preventing you from propelling in Jesus. And another thing is, in this marathon, does it make sense to stay still? No, it doesn't. So you don't want to be stagnant either. So you want to make sure that you are uh, changing your diet and also eating right. And the last but not least is train hard, rest hard. Say train hard, rest hard. Amen. Because there are only things that we can receive is through prayer and fasting. So I pray that God blesses all of you. Amen. Thank you. It's it's really intimidating to get up here after all of this and what's coming, but I'm going to try my best. A um, couple things I want to tell you first. I'm, I um, have to talk fast because I've only got five minutes. So I'm going to cite some Bible verses, and I'll encur I encourage you to write them down and look them up later. The second thing I want to say, this is really why God is so cool, because none of us knew what the other one was going to say, and you'll you just see this reoccurring theme throughout everybody's talk. So I'm here to talk to you about faith. God wants to invite you on a faith journey. He wants you to know that it's a process as well as a journey. Everyone's is different, so don't compare yours to someone else's. It's been tailored to you. So what I want to do is share four things that have um, helped me, I'm sorry, helped me with my faith. The first thing that I had to do is I had to wrestle with God. Um, in Genesis 32, 24 through 25, it talks about Jacob wrestling with God. So what I had to do is I had to admit to God that I didn't trust him. Just be honest with him. He knows, how you're, he knows what you're thinking. He knows how you're feeling. So just lay it out there. I promise you he's not going to be offended or upset or like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? They, they don't trust me. No, he will wrestle with you, and he will help you work through that. He's never afraid to answer. And just like Jacob, after wrestling with him, you learn to depend on him. And once you learn to really trust him, he begins to trust you, and he shares his heart. The next thing you need to do is enter covenant with the Lord. And um, look at Genesis 15, where God and Abram, this is before Abram became Abraham, um, God and Abram end, entered into a covenant. So um, what happened is in a covenant, you know, there's sacrifices and the pieces of the, the animal are split and the two parties walk between the pieces and that's how the covenant sealed. Abram made the sacrifices. He split the, 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 the animals and um, then he fell asleep. He fell into a deep, dark, dreadful sleep. So his human frailty prevented him from completing the covenant. But you know what? God came with a smoking pot and a blazing torch and walked between those pieces, 
and sealed the covenant for them. So being in covenant doesn't mean you won't mess up. It means that God upholds the covenant when you can't. So look at what Jesus did. Look in Matthew 26, 36. It tells us when the, on the night of Jesus' betrayal, he went to pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he asked them to stand guard with him, keep watch. But what happened? I think they meant to, to keep watch with him, but they kept falling asleep. They're human. Um, but you know what? Jesus didn't turn his back on them. He upheld the covenant that they couldn't keep. And in doing that became the ultimate sacrifice. Next thing, pray and stay in the word. You got to pray. You got to stay in the word. Now, I'll tell you this. I do not like to pray out loud. I am not good at it. It is very awkward and uncomfortable for me. But I do talk to Jesus and I talk to God throughout the day. I'm like, I'm talking to him on my way to work. When somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm like, God, did you see that? And he goes, yeah, and they're my child too. And I'm like, okay, whatever, bless them, have it. Uh. So um, just have those conversations with him. That's how you, you know, you just, you, you build your relationship. And so in 2020, when the pandemic hit and the world went crazy, I didn't know what to pray. So I finally started praying, thy will. Thy will be done, Lord. And I was feeling pretty good about that. I was thinking, okay, I got this. Thy will. What's wrong with that? Well, one night in late 2020, he woke me up and he asked me this question. He said, you've been praying my will, but what if my will doesn't look the way you think it should look? And that brings me to my last point. Fight against offense. It's one of Satan's best tactics. Um, this year, during this year's fast, the, the Lord asked me, he woke me up again, again in the middle of the night. He likes to do that. Um, and he asked me this. He said, why did Judas betray Jesus? And then he went on to say, it's because Jesus didn't do things the way Judas expected. So Judas became disappointed in Jesus. His disappointment led to offense, and his offense led to betrayal of Jesus. So ask yourself this, when Jesus doesn't show up in the way you expect, do you trust that he sees the whole picture like Kenton's tapestry? Or do you get offended? Um, you have to guard against offense because it really will poison your walk. For me, Judas is the saddest figure in the Bible because after he betrayed Jesus, he was filled with remorse. But he still didn't understand who Jesus was because if he had understood who Jesus really was, he would have waited. He would not have killed himself. He would have waited. He would have asked for forgiveness, and I believe he would have been forgiven. So to summarize it, remember these four things. Wrestle for your faith, enter covenant with God, pray and stay in the word, and fight against offense. She did such a great job. Can we give her Miss Cheryl a hand one more time? They, uh, they got me going last behind these four fine people, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best. <laughs> Today, uh, I'm going to be diving into a little bit of scripture, um, and I believe that the scripture that I've uh, dived into and done some research in can really help us focus our vision in a society that constantly tries to pull our vision away from God. Every single day in society, you see things all over the place, people all over the place. It's, it's in our pockets now that, that constantly try to pull your vision away from God. And I believe that this scripture can really help us. So if you guys have your Bibles, please uh, go to Mark chapter 10, verse 1. 
verses 46 through 52, and I'm going to start reading. So verse 46, then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 48, be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. And this part's most funny to me. He says, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and I think that just like the people that are surrounding Bartimaeus, society is always going to tell you to, to be quiet, and they're constantly going to rebuke you, and the devil's going to use things of this world to try to bring you down. And I think a lot of the times that all we have to do is do just like Bartimaeus did and just, and just yell louder. And even though society wants you to be quiet and, rebu- and wants to rebuke you, I do believe there's good. I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying that not all things of society are bad in nature. They just can't be more important to you than your Savior. So I believe that, that society and, and the culture of this world wants you to focus more on the things of this world for help. You open your phone and you see social media that you can get sucked into for hours upon hours comparing yourself to others and, and seeing what your life could be like or should be like and it makes you feel negative. And, and, or alcohol or drugs with addiction and, and you use those things for your vice and your next fix because that's what makes you feel better even if only for a moment. And, and I believe that anything at all that, that you can use that draws your attention away from Jesus and more towards society is something that, that the devil tries to use to, to align your vision away with the Lord's. But I believe that, that just like Jesus says here, he's higher than society. And he says that you should just be like Bartimaeus and, and simply ask. And it's a little bit on the nose, but Matthew 7, 7, he says it directly this way. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. It's, it's, he says it that simply put, that all you have to do is ask him, and he will always help. I'm going to read the, the rest of the scripture here, verse 49. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. And I, I, I want to say, I think it's a little funny how society switches up after Jesus calls them. They, you know, they go from rebuking him and kicking him and telling him to be quiet, and then they're like, oh. Jesus like, oh, y'all got to get a load of this guy. And I think it's similar to the way that when we're in our valleys, no one wants to mess with us. But we're on them mountaintops. They're always trying to get us how to look. But I get, I get going. Different talk, different day. <laughs> Verse 50, it says, Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. Verse 52, and Jesus said to him, go for, you, fa- go for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. And, and I think it's really important here to, to just to see how, how Jesus stopped he, he, when no one else did. All these people around him are telling him to be quiet, and they're not helping him. And he's the lowest of the low in their eyes, and, and Jesus is the one who stops and help, helps him. And I want to remind you that no matter how low you feel, no matter how bad you feel on the inside, and no matter how often you want to turn to society, that Jesus will be the one who will stop for you. All you have to do is have faith just like Bartimaeus did. All Bartimaeus Bartimaeus had was faith. He had faith that Jesus would heal him, and Jesus did it. And, and I think that this is the, the main point that I, that I pull out of this scripture, is that you have to realize that even when society is telling you to be quiet, and they're telling you that, that Jesus and God is not what they want to hear right now, because they want to hear whatever the devil's telling them, or whatever society feels like is important. But I have to tell you that you have to be vocal, and push yourself, and push others to continue to be vocal about Jesus and God. 
I, I, my life entirely was changed because of that. I was pushed by somebody else to get involved with church. And from that, I have this opportunity here today, as well as pushing others every single day to become closer to Jesus because I know that that, that relationship is the most important one in everyone's lives. And, and when you're talking to those people, Here's something that you can say to them because it, it tends to be important and people see society, but they have to realize that society could never do what he could do. Culture could never do what he could do. People, money, family, anything of that nature could never do what he could do. So why would we close him off in return for all of those things? Psalms 27 says it this way. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Can I just ask you today to, to, to trust in the Lord God? And, and I want to ask you that, that if you could be desperate for Jesus today, just like Bartimaeus was. And, and I find it funny that our human instinct always tells us that when we're desperate, to, to look to the things of this world. Because that's what we can feel and see right now. And just like they were all saying about the journey is, Jesus doesn't always happen right now, but, but maybe you just need to wait. And, and when we're desperate, we tend to look at those things. But I can promise you that, that when we turn to Jesus, when we, ha- when we build that relationship with Jesus, there's nothing to lose and only loved with Jesus to gain. Thank you. Come on, so good. Hey, hey, you're probably ready to get off the stage. Can we give it up for them one more time? Just five amazing messages. Come on, make it loud. They studied throughout the week. They've been praying, and we're so grateful for them. And and I just love the church being the church from different walks of life, all saying, hey, listen, God has a plan for our faith journeys. And, and we just heard that from the beginning of, 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 of living out that faith and walking out faith through difficult times and being there for other people who are having to develop character and faith endurance. But I'm just so encouraged by what I'm hearing. And, and, and this is what I want to do. I just want to pray over you right now. So if you would, just kind of get into a receiving posture, almost like your hands open. Father, we've been given five great words, and we've been given your great word. We've been given your amazing son, your one and only son, that whomever believes in him shall have eternal life. And Father, you've given us so much, and even if our perspective's gotten off, and even if we've gotten distracted by the things of this world, Father, I, we, we turn to you right now, and we thank you that you're a good God. You're, you're on our side. You're for us, not against us. And Father, I just bless your people right now. Father, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. And may he give you peace. In Jesus' name, I pray. Before we uh, leave an atmosphere of prayer, while you still have your head down, your eyes closed, would you just examine your heart right now? I love one of the things that Cheryl said is that God wants to covenant with us. He wants to, he's already covenanted saying, hey, listen. When you give your life to God, it's not saying that you will forevermore be perfect. It is saying, I'm going to give it my best go, and I want to live with Him being number one. But what she said was right on the nose that, hey, you might screw up, but God walked the covenant on your behalf anyway. And so He will always covenant with us that I'm for you. 
I will remove your sin. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, and I feel like the spirit of this morning is, is similar to what the crowd yelled to blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus didn't think he was all that much, but as Jacob pointed out, he was blind, and he felt lower than anyone else in the culture, and yet people yelled out, cheer up, come on, he's calling Come on, is He calling you today? Are you right with Him today? As you search your heart, if you know there's a check in your gut that says, I'm not right with Him and I need to get some things right, then I want to say no more shame, no more guilt, no more holding back for the Lord. Cheer up. He's calling you even right now. If that's you in this place. And you just say, hey, I want to get right. We're not going to call you forward. We're not going to embarrass you. But we don't want you to be embarrassed by making a decision saying, I'm going to try a new way. I'm going to return to Jesus. Come on, if that's you in this place, would you just quickly uh, raise your hand real quick and say, that's me. I'm giving my life to him. I see you. I see you. Come on, some of you doing it for the first time. Some of you doing it for uh, uh, coming back to him. Just throw your hand up if you know that's me. Include me as well. Many people have already decided, I think. Thank you. If you're online and you're like, hey, that's me too. Right in the chat. Me too. Come on. Because we want to help you walk out this decision together. We're so proud of you for the courage that it takes to just say, today, I'm changing everything. Come on. Cheer up. He's calling you. Come on. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you covenant with us when even we can't walk out the perfect life, yet you perfect us again as we call upon you and we receive what Jesus Christ did for us. So together, the whole church is going to pray, especially those who raise their hand. I want you, every, all of us, to pray out loud this simple prayer of repentance. Say, Jesus, I give you my heart. I am a sinner. I have fallen short of your standard. I've messed up, but I give my life to you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the Son of God. You died in my place to forgive anyone who calls upon you, including me. I am forgiven now because I look to you, Jesus. I am a new person now because you died for me. The old is gone. The new has come. Come live in me, Jesus, and let me walk out this life of faith for the rest of my days with you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said amen and amen.